Attention, young ladies. Attention, young ladies. Attention, young ladies. Attention, young ladies. And I wear it for my lady. The Canadian flag, baby. again and welcome to episode 146 of There's Still Time, the AFTN podcast. I'm your host Michael McCall and this episode of the podcast is a little bit different. We're moving away from our Whitecaps and MLS coverage and we're bringing you another one of our Canadians Women National Team specials. The Olympic qualifiers get underway this week. It seems like only yesterday that the Olympic qualifiers were taking place here in Vancouver at BC Place. But it's another round. It's the 2016 qualifying. Canada are drawn in Group B alongside Guatemala, Trinidad and Tobago and Guyana. Three low-ranked teams and yet you have to think that Canada's going to breeze through the qualifying to set up the crucial semi-final game. And if they can win that, it'll seal a place for them to head to the Rio Olympics in the summer. The games are coming thick and fast down in Houston. First one on the 11th of February, then the 14th and then the 16th. All the games are going to be shown on CBC and Sportsnet as well, so no excuse for not watching. And we're going to set the mood for the tournament this episode with a lot of chat about the tournament and the team and the players that John Herdman has selected. We're going to hear from Harjit Jahal. Later on the show, we're also going to hear from two of the players, Rianne Wilkinson and Alicia Chapman. But let's kick this episode off with the man leading the charge for the Olympics himself, Canadian head coach John Herdman. We're going to bring you a conference call that ourselves and some others did with John Herdman at the end of January. No questions from me in this one because they ran out of time before we could get to my questions and a few other folk as well. But lots of interesting chat. Had to cut some of the questions out because the, the quality of the conference call isn't the best at times as a... A little bit of interference on the line. Also, and this still baffles and annoys me that journalists, with the amount of conference calls that we do, so many journalists just can't seem to work out the etiquette of conference calls and not mute their line, leaving some of the questions and answers just impossible to hear. So we've cut those out, cut out a lot of the pleasantries as well, to keep it as brief and as tight as possible. A lot of questions about the squad and the tournament. So let's hear now from Canadian women's national team coach, John Herdman. Man's man, the man's man, the man's man. Ladies man, the man's man, the man's man, the man's man. Ladies man, the man's man, the man's man, the man's man. Ladies man, the man's man, the man's man, the man's man. You have a bunch of new faces on the team. Can you tell us a little bit about your selection process for this roster? Yeah, thanks, Carrie, and thanks for everyone for for being here today. Uh, yeah, look, it was a it's a tough. Tough process to select 20 players from the group of 30 plus players we have in our wider squad. Uh, we've been working four years diligently to get to a point where coming into the 2016 education campaign and 
2016 Olympics that we have a team that can go you know, back to the podium again. So when we've looked at our process here, what we had in 2015 was a great opportunity to look at our gap analysis from the World Cups to identify positions that we felt we could strengthen in, you know, tactics that we need to improve that involve players, you know, coming into our squad as well as looking at our Excel system and, and how the players within our system were ready to either move into the women's national team squad or not. So, you know, there's been a diligent process. Uh, everyone's been informed and kept up to date with, you know, how things are progressing with their, their careers. And we believe we've got a group of 20 players that uh, are absolutely suited to the needs of this tournament and will give us what we need to get the job done, which is qualify for the Olympics and have a good crack at this Congress title. So we will jump into the first question from Neil Davidson at the Canadian Press. You've got uh, quite quite a few uh, new faces and, and younger players in this roster, but looking at the squad you have, when you select your starting 11, would you expect the bulk of those players to be the veterans who are still here, who are part of the World Cup team? I think what's key, Neil, is look at what the team actually needs for this particular the, the reality of the type of opposition, the styles that we're going to face in the first three games, the, the fact the tournament is back-to-back games with sometimes only a day rest, it, it sort of forms a plan for how you use different players throughout the tournament. And I think everyone knows the game. The game that we have to be you know, at our freshest and our best for will be game four, whether that's the U.S., Costa Rica or Mexico. Uh, we have to get through the other games and put ourselves in a good position um, you know, to be at our best for that fourth game. So, your veterans, we call them the in-betweeners and the new faces, we'll be, we'll be using the balance of those players across the three games, but, but also with, with in mind that We'll be putting our best line and line up and strongest line up. In terms of the players that you've brought in, the seven players, they have some 35 caps between them. Um, how do you prepare them for such a big tournament? And does it make the off-field leadership group that you have in your team, those veterans, even more important come February? Yeah, I think I think the culture and and how you're framing up the relationships between the veterans, the new faces, and that group that sit in between is really important. And we've gone towards that off off the field with, with the cultural component to make sure everyone's clear of the perspectives of each group and how those perspectives align to a very clear goal, which is all these players want to win for Canada. They, they want to make their country proud. They wear that shirt for very specific reasons. And once that's aligned and you get a commitment from the group to that one agenda of qualifying for the Olympics, it becomes quite easy um, to, to you know, get that sense of team and, and connection and chemistry. With regard to, to experience, you know, with those young new faces, we, we keep using people like Kadisha Buchanan as an example, the confidence that she's used coming in, you know, the confidence in our ability to, to step on to the pitch in big games and, and just you know, bring her talent without the complexity that often, you know, veteran players can bring. Um, and, and, you know, this fact of 
often for many players uh, that have played at the highest level, sometimes their best years were when they first started the game. So for, for these young players, we've, we've removed uh, uh, a fear of performance. We've removed uh, a sense of complexity around international football. And we've, uh, I guess, moved the requirement of having 20, 30, 40 caps to be an effective team player. That's not what we see, particularly when some of these young players are stepping on the pitch. But what we are ensuring is the senior players who have got that capacity to, uh, to add more attention to tactics and structure and opposition analysis, those players are, are taking that responsibility, which they always have. So there's definitely an approach where the young players are, are allowed to play, play freely, and, and the senior players have identified that as an expectation from them. The next question will go to Gavin Day. Obviously, everybody has seen the, the big turnover from the, the Women's World Cup squad, but I think it's 10 players from that squad not here. Is it uh, possible that, that a good number of, of senior players have played their final game for Canada? I think play, playing the final game for Canada is, is always going to be a decision that, that players make. I mean, we, we work with a wider squad. This group are, are supported by Canada soccer, those that aren't here. They, um, they are pushing um, to, to experience professional football. And, and it's the culture we're trying to create, Gavin, that your career should tell a story. And that's really important that players, you know, when they're not selected, they're playing at the highest level of international football professionally um, around the world or in North America and, and becoming, you know, a top player in their team. And, and through that, the identification process for the Olympics will we'll certainly open that window again. I mean, I think for this particular tournament, we've looked at the gaps from 2015, certainly going towards giving some new faces opportunity. And those new faces are given an opportunity within the backdrop of an Olympic qualifying tournament that requires certain types of skill sets, particularly for, for you know, the opening group games. And, and what we'd argue is some of the skill sets have been missing that, that we're trying to include in this team. You know, whether the, this group of 20 are the ones that go to Rio is another question. There's a whole new layer of assessment when you consider the demands of an Olympic tournament where you have five tier one teams potentially in your way on the way to a podium. And, and that requires a different level of physicality from players, a different level of... Um, technical ability, and some of that's only hardened through consistent games in professional football, which, you know, I'm hoping the majority of those players that weren't selected, um, if they keep on the pathway, uh, they expose themselves to and, and build that consistency in their, in their performance as a club level. Uh, next, we will go to Stephen Sandor. Switching gears just a little bit, uh, a couple of years back when Canada played in Houston, the men's team, there was less than stellar reviews for the, the pitch in Houston, and you'll be playing right after a rugby tournament uh, that's going to be a BBVA, and uh, as you said, the games are coming fast and furious. Ha has there been any discussion or concerns about how the playing surface might affect your game, or if there's going to be concerns about the, the state of that playing surface in Houston? Well, we've, we've looked at the weather conditions, and by all means, it looks like 
you know, the weather's going to be pretty consistent and mild, so often not what will really affect pitches. Uh, you know, we'll take whatever pitch comes. I mean, it's something that is out of our control, uh, but the one thing we can control is adapting to that. But for us, it just won't even enter the mindset. We're, we're very clear what we've got to do here in every game, and I'm not sure the pitch will come into too much. Next, we'll go to Daniel. About goalkeeping. Uh, firstly, what is Erin's health status, and will she be good to go from the start of the tournament? Yeah, to answer the Erin question, she's, she's on track. Her return to play plan has her back training fully in Houston. Uh, and available for the first game of the qualifiers if required. So it's good news on Erin. She's on track. But, I mean, these injuries, you, you just never know. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of still day by day. But, you know, the medical the medical team are confident that she'll be available. Kurt Larson from The Sun. You know, you, you talked about some of the skill sets that might have been missing from previous groups. Can you talk about what those skill sets are that this, um, you know, this current group has and then how they relate to uh, being effective against the three opponents you'll face in the group stage? Yeah, it's a good question. So, I mean, certainly coming out of the Women's World Cup, and, and this isn't to, uh, to single out, you know, forwards uh, specifically, but, you know, we had a group of forward players that were very similar in their, their style and approach. And, you know, from what we've looked at, we felt we needed to add more pace into that front line and, and genuine, you know, pace that could uh, get in behind defences uh, and really stretch defences. And, and that, you know, looking at players like Michelle Prince, Deanne Rose, uh, Janine Becky, all of these players have that, that level of what we would call world, world-class speed, speed that you know, defenders are going to have to be really worried about. And I think with that said, you know, adding pace around players like Sinclair um, is, is absolutely crucial to give her the space that she needs to operate. On the other side, we looked at um, the more technical wingers. That, you know, I, I always felt coming into, you know, 2012 pushing to 2016, we were, we were waiting for wingers to emerge, you know, that out and out, you know, wide player who relishes the 1v1 battle, who's got the craft to beat someone 1v1 uh, to create those quality crosses that, that I think we were, again, missing at the World Cup. So, you know, we've added, again, players like Gabrielle Carl, uh, Deanne Rose, Janine Becky, uh, those sorts of players who do relish that 1v1 opportunity, similar to Michelle Prince. So, so we feel that, you know, midfield, we've got a good, strong component there. We've, we've added speed and, and some technical efficiency to the to the front line. And, and you know, into the back line, our left back was always a bit of a challenge with, you know, we wanted to make sure we could establish a natural left-footed player on that side. But that also had, you know, the, the, the athletic quality and, and a very youth, and the, the youth being that less susceptible to injuries and, and we've been able to do that with um, both Rebecca Quinn and uh, Shalina Sadorsky. You know, I think we have added to the team. We've, we've built strength, but, you know, the players that haven't been selected still know they have, they have an opportunity to push into this team. And, yeah. Now we will take a question from John Molinero. Can you break down the group a little bit? I mean, can you give us a, um, a scouting report on Guyana, Trinidad, and, and Guatemala and what do you expect from each of your opponents? Yeah, I think looking at those three, 
people are looking and go, well, that's, that's an easy group. Um, and, and on paper it is. I mean, on paper, for some of the, when you look at the world rankings and everything that, that people are bringing to their consideration, Canada should progress the top of the group. But it's always that you can't take this group lightly. And if you look at each of those opponents, to get a result against Canada, a draw against Canada is what they need predominantly. And to get a draw against Canada will be one of the big results in their history. So when you come into it, you you know the mindset of a of a team that having you know coached New Zealand at its first World Cup in 2007 and playing Brazil in your first game, you, you have a sense of what the coaches are saying in the dressing room, what the players have got a fixed mindset around. Let's defend and defend for our lives, and let's see if we can catch them on the counter, catch them on a set piece. But we expect a pretty resolute defensive unit, and. You know, whether it's the men's or women's games, when teams decide to play us, it can be a challenge. And, and we've got to, you know, find a way to solve that puzzle. And I think some of the selections and the way we've been going about our work will give us that opportunity to do that. So all three opponents will be quite similar. I think, John, I think Trinidad uh, is certainly the strongest in that group. And the others... Um, or come out and, and try and have one of those surprise results through great defensive organization. We've just got to make sure we break that down. Tony Kerr with CBC Sports. Um, my question is, uh, you initially talked about the difficulty in, in, in choosing uh, the roster, and if that's the case, that means that the depth is uh, is really coming on strong now. Can you just talk about you know the depth not only leading into this tournament, but Canada's future as well? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. The, the depth that's been building over the last three years through the, the implementation of our Excel system and, and the alignment across our country now with, with six regional Excel centers coming on board in 2016 and the consistency in our tactical philosophy through those systems, uh, an understanding of the, the, the requirements and profiles and measures for achieving national I mean all of those things have come into play to enable us now to have a, a more consistent and reliable pipeline route to the women's national you know prior to, the, uh, to 2012 when I looked at the stats only three players had progressed from 2000 into the women's national I always said you know countries such as Germany you know when Prince you know, leaves the, the program or Wombat leaves the program, you know, Alexander Pop appears or, you know, for the U.S., Alex Morgan or Sidney LaRue appears in the pipeline. So you, you knew that Canada always had more potential uh, with the number of players that we have playing, but it was about aligning a system. And I think we're now starting to see the rewards of that with Lawrence, Buchanan, Fleming, uh, people like uh, Rose, um, that is starting to come through the system a lot quicker. In a time when hats were high, I had no Canadian flag. Just a sign of David Roger, too scared to purchase Roger. But I walk through the Clyde Valley and the shadow of fiery Jack. But we'll fear no evil, wrapped in the Canadian flag. So John Herdman there. Hopefully you managed to hear and pick out the most pertinent parts of, of the chat there. 
That conference call was recorded on January 26th, which was the day that the Canadian roster was released. And it's it's definitely a a mixed roster of experience. You've got the youngest player on the, the team being Deanne Rose, who is 16 years old. And then Melissa Tancredi takes the mantle of the oldest player at 34. Just how many of the, the players will actually see game time and, and how many minutes some of the younger players in particular will get, it's hard to tell just now, but I, I guess we'll find out within the next couple of weeks. Now I could sit here uh, and give some analysis of the squad and the, the teams coming up and the, the games ahead and the, the whole tournament, but there's not much point in that. My, my knowledge of the women's game is limited, so when that is the case, it's always the the best idea to reach out to an expert. So we did just that with friend of the show, Harjit Jahal. Now, long-time listeners will know we have her on the, the show a lot, discussing the women's game and also the Whitecaps. So I sat down with her a few days ago just to look ahead to the tournament, players in Canada's team, what we can expect from the opponents, and whether we can look forward to Canada gracing the pitches of Rio in the summer. Always an interesting chat with her. So let's hear from her now. So welcome to the show once again, Har, and we're going to talk a little bit about the women's Olympic qualifiers that are coming up down in Houston and elsewhere in Texas during February. First thing to ask you, how confident are you that Canada are going to make it to the Olympics? I'm actually quite confident that they are going to make the Olympics. It would take a monumental collapse for them not to end up in Rio. They've got a very a very uh, easy, I would say, group beat with their opponents. The, the toughest game is basically that semi-final against probably a Costa Rica or Mexico. That's the game you've got to prepare for and really be ready for. So as long as they win that game, they're going to go to Rio. And I think they can do it. They've certainly got the talent. The young players are really, really doing well. And I think Erin McLeod's going to be back and healthy. So I think she's going to be good. So really, there's no excuses. They should definitely qualify for the Rio Olympics. So looking at the group, they're, they're drawn beside Guyana, Guatemala and Trinidad and Tobago. And I mean, you look at that on paper and you don't want to write off teams, especially we, we saw during the World Cup that the gap between some of the top teams and some of the middle teams are is really narrowing. But I mean, these teams aren't even middle teams. It, it looks like it should be a breeze. But is that maybe a danger as well that Canada might be a little bit too complacent going into it? Or could nothing really go wrong in those games? You'd like to think that nothing could go wrong in the games, but obviously you can't overlook any opponent, really. They're all going to be gunning for Canada as they're the the highest-ranked team in that group. They're going to know that they need to get points uh, from each other, but also a draw even against Canada would be good for some of those minnow teams, if you will. And Canada can't take them lightly. They have to play their best. They can't have any lapses. And some of these young players on the team are playing for roster spots for the upcoming Algarve Cup in March, and perhaps if there are any friendlies in the spring. So they want to do well. They want to show that they're uh, consistent and concise and can play together really well. And if you look back to a few years ago, Canada played in the the Brazil tournament. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2012 or 2013. Anywho, Canada, uh, Canada failed to beat Chile. They lost to Chile in the Brazil tournament. And Brazil tournaments usually got some good teams and Chile was not ranked. So on any day, 
any team like a Guyana or a Guatemala or TNT, they can get the better of Canada. So you have to be on guard and you have to take these games seriously. And I do think Canada will do that. And looking at the score, it's a very young squad. The average age is just under 24, something like 23.9495, something like that. It definitely has a feel to it that's kind of like a changing of the guard. There's still a number of veterans in there, Christine Sinclair, Mel Tancredi, Rianne Wilkinson, Diana Matheson. Those those girls are still there, but there's a lot of names that, some surprising, some not, that were, were left out. From those that haven't been included in the squad, is there any major surprises for you? I kind of thought that by now, Kaylin Kyle and Adriana Leon would maybe get uh, invited to the the camp that was recently wrapped up in Vancouver, and you know they're not on the roster for the qualifiers in in Texas. I'm not sure when they're going to be called up. Maybe for the Algarve tournament, maybe for any future friendlies. I still think they're in the thinking, as John Herdman has said. So I do think we'll see uh, some of those players in terms of uh, Sasselman, uh, Moscato, and Zur. I'm not quite certain. Uh, Zdorsky and Quinn, they've really come in and, and cut, not grabbed the center back positions, but shown that they're ready to fight for them and prove that they can be the next center back. Uh, uh, players for Canada to play beside Kenesha Buchanan so in terms of that I see I th- see some of them returning to the national team and I also see some of them you know maybe playing uh, club team football and that's it. And looking at some of the lesser well-known players in the team which I mean I, I know nothing about most of the ones that were not at the World Cup but a lot of them have played for Canada at youth level under 20 under 17 level they've been involved in the international setup for for a number of years now Kadisha Buchanan was the, the girl that really broke out during the World Cup. From these new girls that have been added to the squad, is there anyone that you think has the potential to make a name for herself this time around? I'm really excited about Nichelle Prince and Janine Becky. They both scored in the recent Brazil tournament. Uh, they've done really well in the training camps, and Canada struggles to score goals. You know, we can't put it all on Christine Sinclair. Uh, Melissa Tancredi hasn't scored a goal since the London Olympics against Sweden. So I expect Prince and and Becky to step up. And I think they've really got a great opportunity. And I believe they're going to get a lot of playing time with Christine Sinclair. So they're going to have their chances. So I'm expecting big things from uh, Michelle Prince and uh, Janine Becky. And as we're sitting recording this, we're recording this in the car. And you can maybe hear the rain whacking off it because it's just like heavens have opened here. Now, you're going down to Houston for the tournament in the second week anyway. What's the weather? Is it going to be a factor or is it just kind of going to be like perfect temperatures for for the women down there? I'm actually thinking that the weather is going to be maybe uh, mid-teens Celsius. Maybe maybe it might reach 21 or 2 days. Uh, I talked to one of my friends who went down to Houston for the Olympics. When, when Vancouver hosted the Olympics, he did a house swap, swap, his family did. And he said it was colder down in Houston than it was in Vancouver. So uh, I don't think the weather will be a factor. It'll be warmer than it will be in Vancouver, obviously, but it's not going to be a heat wave, no humidity. So I don't see the weather being a factor. You know, maybe it could be for some of those visiting teams that come from hot climates where they're used to the weather and maybe not used to the cold so maybe for them but for Canada I think the weather is not going to be a factor. And looking at the other group it's definitely the toughest group you've got America you've got Mexico you've got Costa Rica who do you think are going to be Canada's opponents in that crucial semi-final match? 
lot of people are obviously going to say Mexico. I'm not going to say Mexico. I'm going with Costa Rica. I think Mexico is a country, a football country that's all over the place. They've just announced or they've said that they're not going to have any players in the NWSL. Their players are scattered all over, you know, Europe. And I think Costa Rica is really an up-and-coming team. I really like Raquel Rodriguez. So I think Costa Rica is going to be that team. I think Canada can win on, on that day. And just the last thing to ask you, obviously America's going into as huge favourite World Cup winners. Got a young squad, missing the pregnant Sydney LaRue, um, but they've got a lot of their, their key players still together for it. Is there any way that you can see Canada actually winning the, the whole qualifying tournament and beating America in the final, hopefully? No. Well, that's very frank. Well, thanks for joining us as always, Hart. Have a safe trip down to Houston. We'll look forward to hearing from you when you're down there and just what it was all about. So thanks so much, Shar. But just before we go, let everyone know where they can find you online. You can find my women's soccer coverage at Equalizer Soccer and my Vancouver Whitecaps coverage uh, over at uh, Red Nation Online. And you can tweet me at Har Journalist. And uh, yeah, have a nice day. That's great. Thanks so much, Har, and safe trips down to Houston. So thanks to Har for spending some time chatting to us again. We'll have her back on the show soon, talking about the women's game and some white cap stuff as well. So as we said at the start of the show, there's a quite a big difference between a, a number of ages and experience of players in the squad. Thankfully though, there is still a lot of older heads to steady the ship. And you have to be honest and say that this is probably their last campaign in a Canadian jersey. Some of them might still hang around for the next World Cup qualifying, but I think a few of them, especially the, the girls that won bronze in, in London back in 2012, are going to maybe want to go out with a bang this time around and, and pick up another Olympic medal. And one of those experienced heads is Rianne Wilkinson. Now, we've had Rianne on the show before. Always enjoyed chatting to her. She's a very interesting woman. Lots to say, lot of experience in the women's game. 168 Canadian caps. Going to add to that down in Rio as well. And she was one of the players that I, I did wonder if she would maybe contemplate international retirement after the World Cup. Especially going in and coming out of the, the World Cup with a little bit of an injury niggle. But she showed the value that she has to the team in the tournament in the summer. And she wants to bring that experience and add that value to, to Rio this summer. Hopefully picking up another Olympic medal in the process. So I had a good chat with Rianne last month about a number of things, on the pitch, off the pitch, and of course we, we had to ask her what podcast she's listening to just now. So let's hear now from Rianne Wilkinson. First thing to ask you, does does it feel like the World Cup was a long time ago, or does it all kind of seemed like it was just yesterday. Well, it does feel like a long time ago because in the soccer world, you don't often have sort of time off for extended periods. And after the World Cup, we obviously went back to our club teams and then there was sort of a break for a little, like a month, and that never happened. So I was able to just be uh, a regular person for a while and 
got to do some stuff uh, with my mom. We went hiking, uh, did the Camino, a bit of section of the Camino over in France. So I was able to do these things. And so it seems like it's been a lot longer than it has since the end of the World Cup. Yeah, I wasn't sure about that. So you didn't go back to Portland, so you just had the time off, didn't you? I did go back to Portland, but because I was um, pretty significantly injured, I wasn't able to play, um, which was unfortunate. And yeah, it was uh, very, I mean, I was upset not to be able to contribute to the team down there. But I was there the whole time, um, behind the scenes, on the bench, um, on trying to recover, doing all, doing all my recovery stuff. So talking about your injury, like you you missed the, the first couple of games during the World Cup. Did it ever cross your mind that, that you or were you ever worried that you might end up missing out altogether? Yeah, I mean when I got um, the results of you know sort of the test and the injury, I was concerned definitely. Um, but the World Cup and at the age I'm at, I was willing to take maybe more risks with it than I would have had I been younger and at the beginning of my career um so i was just, just hoping to get an opportunity and uh yeah that was pretty much how i was going into it and then to, to come back and to to set up the winning goal against switzerland that, that took canada through to the quarterfinals where does that game kind of sit in your career highlights um the, the, i mean it was a very the whole world cup was sort of a surreal experience and that. There was the disappointment of being injured, and then there was this like rush to like a race rather to, to be healthy and you know enough to play, and sort of like coming in on Montreal and, and you know actually making uh, not not having a fantastic uh, impact on the game. They they came back and scored, and it was my hometown, a ton of people there. But it, so that was hard, and then getting to play again in a BC place, which is where we you know have made a home here in, in Vancouver. We're here often training and. And getting to, you know, I'll, I'll get credit maybe for that pass, but uh, Sinclair's touch to set up Jose was pretty phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, it was a moment a moment in my career um, that will definitely uh, always be remembered. Heading into the tournament, we, we talked about you enjoying the moment and everything that, that went with it. Not, not looking at the results, but on a personal level, was it all that you hoped it would be? Um... No, I mean, I, I knew, and you know, going into these big tournaments, like, you really have to to, to be present, and you, you you say all the right things, and you believe that you can do it, and, it, and it's so much, it's just so, so big, which is wonderful, like, the Canadian public got so into it, and um, it was very difficult to, to really um, just enjoy the ride and be there, it was, it was it was tough to do that, so I hope, and I did try to, but without the injury, and with the you know, of course, you expect this, the stress of a home World Cup, but I, I, can you expect exactly what it's going to be? No, I, it was very tough to to just really enjoy it all. So, last thing about the World Cup, like looking back on the tournament overall from the Canadian team performance, what's the overlasting feeling that you take from it? Is it pride, or is there a, a kind of nagging thing that you feel that it was maybe a missed opportunity to go a little bit further? Yeah, I think. Uh, Probably it wouldn't be truthful to say that we came away really proud of our um, of what we did, and that's not to say I'm not proud of how we stood up together and, and put everything we had into trying to make uh, our country proud. I just think that they that we could have done more, and, and when you when you have that feeling, it, it's hard to to be completely pleased with 
with how it all went. Um, so yeah, I definitely felt we could have maybe done a little more. So looking at the the, the squad or the roster so far, and I know it's still got to get trimmed down, but looking at the the roster that's there for the Olympic qualifiers. It's, it feels almost like it's the start of a change enough for the guard. There's a lot of the, the younger ones coming through. There's a number of well-known names not in the squad. D- did you retiring from international football ever cross your mind once the World Cup was finished? Or was the Olympics always in your plans? Uh, well, my plans and John's plans are, you know, slightly different things. I... <laughs> In that John and I have had, have a very honest relationship in that I don't want to ever outstay my welcome. In that I know I'm a senior player and, and, and sometimes senior players are brought for their leadership um, off the field. And that's not uh, how I want my career to end. If I'm not able to, um, to be contributing on the field, I, I don't want to take up a spot. Um, and he's very, he doesn't, I think, want that either. So um, I always, uh, when I signed on for this World Cup, I also signed on for this Olympic qualifier and hopefully Olympics. Um, and so John, with our conversations before, I always um, uh, felt that I still had a, a place on the team. So yeah, I wasn't considering retirement after this World Cup. It was always a package deal in my mind. Now, there's a, a lot of names in this roster that, I'm not familiar with because it's they've maybe not featured in the senior team. But for the ones that are kind of newer to the squad this time around, who are the players that fans should maybe watch out for, or who are the next ones? I know you don't want to put pressure on any one person, but who are the next ones that might make the next step and and make the breakthrough? Do you feel? Well, as a group, our young ones are are so exciting. I think the public needs to be excited about the youth coming through because. Uh, not only are they just world-class players, really, they all have that. The difference will be their mentality and their desire because their ability is incredible. Um, they're also fantastic people. And to be a senior player and have these this group of youth come through, it's always a bit of like a, well, you know, you don't really know what to expect sometimes from, from youth coming in, but they've been a real, real pleasure to have on the team and to work with. The speed and athleticism up front, you know, Deanne Rose is incredibly fast. Like that's just really fun to see these, these incredibly athletic young people. But I, I really am. I'm not exaggerating. The, the group of them are are really exciting. A bunch of young women. Well, that that all sounds really good. And like looking at the games, and I know, I know you can't take anything for granted. But is there kind of a feeling within the camp that you maybe the way that the draw worked out, you kind of dodged the bullet a little bit. You America. Costa Rica, Mexico and the other group definitely seems to be much more of a battle than maybe what, what you guys are going to be facing. Yeah, I mean, CONCACAF is, a, is one of these like tough groups. Sometimes countries that were strong the year before aren't the next. Like, you know, depending on whether their federations have invested in their women's side or not, it really does vary year to year. Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at historically, our group is, is definitely weaker. Whether that's an advantage, I'm not sure, because we all know it comes down to the semifinal game if we put ourselves in that position. And um, sometimes if you've had games that haven't maybe challenged you as much, that's not a benefit. Um, so we really have to go in, uh, you know, with very strong mental focus because first we need to finish top of our group um, and then we have to be ready for uh, maybe a different kind of caliber game. We don't know, but we don't know what to expect from our group either because in CONCACAF, 
you really can't. It, it changes constantly. Looking at the World Cup, there's so many kind of emerging nations coming through. Canada has always been at the top for, for years and years now, but the other nations seem to be closing the gap. What, what do you feel Canada needs to do now to, to re-establish itself as a real powerhouse in the women's game? Yeah, well, um, definitely the the countries that have historically been maybe weaker opponents, it, it's just not happening. I mean, 2003, we beat England like 8 nothing. Yeah. You know, France, I remember going there and just like stomping 3 nothing, and we should have beaten them by a lot more, and that's sort of like in 05. I, these are just countries that have started to recognize that the women's game is only getting bigger. And if you don't jump on this bandwagon, you're really going to miss out. And they really, the, the level has been incredible to watch. Over my decade on the team, it's just it's, the game has completely changed. And for Canada, we are changing with the times. I mean, if anyone's followed our game, I think you can see, you know, Evan Pellerig's style got us onto the map. You know, big women, aggressive. We were able to be very direct with, a, obviously, a world-class striker um, with Sinclair. But also, you know, we had... Charmaine Hooper, you know, in length, and we had fantastic finishers that could put those, like, sort of direct play in. Carolina came, she made us, you know, a much more possession-oriented team, much more, like, sort of passing and building out the back. And John's coming, and he's adapted again. Um, you know, different systems, different styles. And, and so what Canada Soccer has done to already keep us where we are and, and is, is bring in coaches that can, you know, bring the team to the next level. And that's what... John's evolving all the time, and so are we. Um, you know, right now we're 11th in the world. Um, sort of from the beginning of my career, I've sort of gone from, you know, 6th to 12th in that sort of area. We, we've stayed pretty consistent in a very varying time in the, in the, in the women's soccer sort of landscape. Um, do I think we need to be higher? Absolutely. That's a jump we need to make now, and that's a decision we need to to make as a team because our staff is incredible and the CSA has done all they can to, to give us every opportunity to, to be uh, top of the world, really. There was a lot of talk going into the World Cup about like the legacy from it for, for the women's game at, at grassroots level. What would you like to see happening now at, at the grassroots level? Because it almost, like the worry was that after the World Cup people would stop talking about women's soccer again until the Olympics come round and then when they're finished forget to talk about it until the next World Cup comes round what kind of legacy are you hoping to see now from the tournament? Well these aren't things you see immediately but interestingly I kind of am my my room here at Fortius in Vancouver overlooks the field at the complex here and I sit and I watch not just the young girls but the boys and soccer is incredibly you know like it's growing so quickly i saw these these young girls doing a drill the other day that we had done in practice a few months ago you know wow and it is the game is growing in leaps and bounds here and we can always say well you know we're not as advanced as Europe, or you know, we can compare ourselves to people, but I don't want to look. Let's compare where we were ten years ago. Women's soccer is firmly on the map, and so is men's. You know, the White Caps, the Impact, uh, Toronto. That these are teams that are, are professional. They're competing. They're in the playoffs. Two of those teams, like this, it's the World Cup is an element, and it can't be you know a World Cup and then it's gone because you look at the young ones now and you know that they've seen 
something, whether it be the men's professional, whether it be the women's World Cup coming here, whether it's the Olympics, they've seen something that's inspired them and want them to play. And, I mean, I see it every day. I'm sure you do, too, in the coming from Europe and coming to Canada from maybe when you arrived to now, the game is just, you can't even compare how, how fast it's grown to anything else. Oh, totally. I mean, like all the young kids training there, and it's great. And the game is just growing and growing here. And I think, like, the the women's team had a big part to play in that. So good good luck down in the Texas heat and hope Thank you. and hopefully it should be a, a nice straightforward qualification campaign for you. Well, rarely things go exactly as planned, but uh, we're doing everything we can to make it uh, uh, a wonderful experience for all. Well, that's great. Just before you go, any new podcast that you're listening to that folks should kind of dig out? Hour from the BBC. Oh wow! <laughs> oh? That's an old show. Well, it's on every day still. Yeah. It is an old show, but it's uh, still very up to date and relevant, and sort of always always mention something that uh, sends me in a new direction. So that's always fun. Because after we spoke the last time, we talked about Desert Island Discs. So then I, I did a couple of Desert Island Disc features with some of the Whitecaps players. So yeah. they, they seem to go down really well. So I'm going to do some more of those. Well, thanks for taking the time to, to speak to us and, and good luck next month. Thank you very much. Thanks, Rianne. Bye. Bye. Wilkinson there. Always enjoy speaking to her and very interesting women to chat to, just such insightful into the women's game and and it's something that you know that when she does eventually hang up her boots that she's going to go into coaching and, and do a really good job at that as well. So from one of the experienced heads in the team, I guess age-wise and caps-wise, to a woman that went into the World Cup as one of the more inexperienced players, kind of an unheralded player, not a well-known name to many, and that was Alicia Chapman. Now, Alicia did really well during the World Cup, earned a lot of plaudits, dwelled in the group games, and, and right up until when Canada were, were knocked out of the competition. And the funny thing now for Alicia is she's coming into this tournament as one of the more experienced heads in the team. She's now one of the veterans, sort of imparting and sharing her knowledge with some of the younger ones in the team. So it's, it's been a whirlwind year or so for Alicia. And she's going to be heading down to Houston, where she actually plays her club football now for Houston Dash. So like with Rianne, uh, I got a chance to chat to Alicia last month via telephone. So let's hear from her now. Here's Alicia Chapman. So heading, heading into the World Cup, you were kind of one of the more unknown names, I guess, on, on the roster. A lot of people didn't, maybe weren't that familiar with you because you hadn't been in the previous Olympic thing and everything like that. But by the end of the tournament, folk were certainly talking about you. From a personal point of view, how did you find it, the whole experience, both on playing level and, and just on a personal level? Um, it was... 
pretty pretty unreal. I, it was something I I wasn't used to. <laughs> uh, just uh, having that much support, having that many people know who you are. It was um, it was all very very new to me, but um, it was it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. I talked to you when they had the media day just kind of before the tournament started and one of the things we talked about to all the players was not letting the, the moment pass and to kind of make the most of everything. Was the whole tournament everything you hoped it would be or did it kind of exceed that? Um, I mean, it, I mean it, was, it was absolutely fantastic and uh, just breaking, breaking records with attendance and... Uh, three times in a row. Um, I mean, like, you can't really ask for anything more from the tournament. It's just, uh, I wish we could have we could have gone a little further, you know, won that game against England, and it, I think it would have made it a little more special, but um, it was nice to, to be able to be in front of the home crowd, and my parents were at the game in Vancouver, the last game, and uh, they were part of that, that record-winning, uh, that record crowd, so I, I think it was pretty special. Coming out at BC Place for for those two games in front of over fifty thousand people, I mean, what what goes through your mind at a time like that? Because even at club level, I mean, what was the biggest crowd you you kind of played off before the tournament started? Uh, the biggest crowd before that was probably a few thousand, or I guess um, in my in my first couple of games when we played against Japan, it was. I think around ten thousand people. Um, so that was that was probably the biggest crowd I've I've had to that point. Um, I think the first game in Edmonton, it, I was very nervous uh, with the, the large crowd, but I think I got used to it as it went on. And honestly, by the last game, I was um, I was a little distracted by by my injury, so I wasn't really wasn't really thinking about the crowd. I was just thinking, you know, needs to form me to after after that England game I mean it, it was such a, a tough one just because by the end like Canada were looking so strong but you got hit with those two early goals what what was the mood of the camp after the game obviously disappointment but did you st- did you have pride in what you'd achieved during the tournament or was there maybe a feeling that it had been a missed opportunity out there well I think on, uh, on the whole on that on that night, I think we did outplay England after those those two goals. I think it was kind of, I think we saw it as a missed opportunity because we just went into the game thinking England is a very beatable team. Um, we know them very well. We played them as their uh, pre-World Cup game. So I think we were very confident going into the game. And so we were disappointed at that, but I I do think that we accomplished a lot in the tournament, even though we didn't we didn't make it past the quarterfinals, just because it gave a lot of um, it popularized women's soccer in Canada, and you know it's something people were talking about. And um, I think we we inspired the next generation, which was you know one of our one of our main goals in the tournament. So I think we were happy with that. So what has John Herdman done now to kind of pick the, the team up moving forward looking at the squad there's a lot of new faces and it kind of almost feels already like a little bit like the change in the guard but but what did what did John Herdman say to you guys in the last couple of camps just to kind of 
pick the team up moving forward now? Um, yeah, I think it is like the start of, of, new, of new times. It feels very fresh in camp, and he is mixing things up with new players. Um, some new players are, have a lot of pace and have, are just special. He's picked up some, some youth and some, some special players that, you know, they're not, uh, they don't know what it feels like to, to really lose yet. So it's kind of good having having them in the squad and uh, freshening things up. And it's just been, been really positive in camp. And uh, uh, they said that we're really welcoming, which is also good. So <laughs> I think they, they feel really comfortable and I think they can, It's funny hearing you say that because when we were speaking to some of the the more veteran players ahead of the the World Cup, they were saying that about like people like yourself, like you you hadn't experienced losings whereas they had at the last Olympics and everything. So yeah. now to hear you say that, it's like you're you're almost like one of the veterans in the team now. Is that a weird feeling to go from being so new to the squad to now being one of the the old hats? Um, I I kind of I kind of like it. <laughs> I was never, uh, like, new in the sense of my age. Um, yeah. You know, I'd been around the youth programs, and by the time I got into the squad, you know, my first cap was at 25. So I, I do think I already brought some experience to the team just because of my experience up until 25. We have some 16-year-olds in, in the squad right now. And uh, so, yeah, it is kind of weird, you know, what uh, kind of difference a year makes. And like talking of weird, how weird was it to have to return back to club level after having that whirlwind of a summer and all the build up to it and all the kind of residency before it? Was it strange having to go back to playing in the NWSL? Um, I guess not really. It was kind of you know kind of nice to be back to normal. Um, you know, because I'm not I'm not used to living out of a suitcase and traveling around and having friendlies everywhere in front of a massive amount of people. So it was just kind of, uh, kind of felt like things were getting back to normal. Unfortunately, I was um, sidelined with an injury from, that I got during the World Cup and I was out for about nine weeks before I was able to, to start playing 90 minutes again. But uh, other than that, it, it just felt like things were getting back to normal. And of course, you play with Houston Dash, and the the Canadian team's down in Houston now for for the Olympic qualifiers next month. Yeah. Do you know what the weather's going to be like in February there? I just imagine it's like hot there constantly. Um, it's like up and down. The other day it was uh, six degrees. Apparently by Friday it's supposed to go up to twenty-one degrees. Wow. Just, uh, you never know in Houston. It could be pouring one day and then. It, you just never know with the weather there. So hopefully we get some nice uh, nice 20s. That would be, that'd be good. Yeah, so it's not going to be the horrible summer weather anyway off in the 30s and stuff. I mean, how, how do you cope with that? Because I've wanted to go down when the Whitecaps have played down there, Houston and in Dallas, but it's just way too hot in the summer. I mean, what's it like as a player to have to, to play in those temperatures? Um, well, you just, uh, basically my thinking is, it's bad for me, but it's worse for them. Um, <laughs> that's basically how I go into it. I also, uh, in college, I, I went to Louisiana State University, so I'm kind of used to that weather. Yeah. 
but I guess you never really get used to that kind of weather. But um, no, fitness is one of my strengths, so that's just always my always my thought. Like, yeah, it's bad to me. It's worth it. So just looking ahead to the the qualification tournament. Now, obviously, you don't want to write anyone off or get too cocky, but like when you look at the groups, is there kind of a feeling amongst the camp that you you maybe dodged the bullet a little bit? America, Costa Rica, Mexico, all in the same group. Then you look at like Guyana and the other teams that you've got in, in your group. Do you, do you feel it's the easier path? And could that maybe go against you because you're maybe not getting tested up to the semi-final stage? Yeah, I think we did definitely get dealt the, uh, the easier of the two groups, but uh, you can never underestimate Trinidad and Diego. You just don't know what they're going to come out with. Um, in last qualifying, they held the U.S. Uh, for much of the game before I think they only lost one nothing. You never know what you're going to get out of them, but um, yeah, hopefully our group games prepare us enough to, to pull out that win in the semis and then go for the U.S. in the finals. Looking at the World Cup, a lot of the, the lesser teams, if you want to call them that, the, the gap seemed to be really closing between the elite teams. Canada's been at the top of the women's game for so many years now. What, what do you feel the programme needs to do to, to help keep the team amongst the, the elite women's teams in the world? Um, well, I think that the programme is heading in the right direction. It's putting, you know, when I was back in... My day when I was younger, we would be practicing, you know, long balls. Um, they don't, they don't do that anymore. It's more practicing on the technique, you know, making sure everyone's technically proficient. And um, so I, I do think they are starting with the youth, and they're um, they're improving the way that the youth system is run. And I think in the long run, that's definitely definitely going to be helpful towards us because the women's game is no longer long balls and hoping that Sinclair scores a goal, you know. Yeah. So I think uh, I think we are moving in the right direction. There was a lot of talk going in to the World Cup about the legacy for the, the Canadian women's game at grassroots level. What would you like to see now? The, the bus has kind of gone away a little bit from the women's game, as I guess you maybe would expect when a big tournament's finished, but what kind of legacy do you want to see in maybe five years, ten years, from the World Cup that, that was held last year? I, in five or ten years, I, I just, I would like to see our women's program be constantly competing for podium finishes. I think that's where I'd like to see the program head, and I hope that, uh, I hope that the World Cup helps inspire some of these young girls, and that um, we've created some some sparks in, in some players and that hopefully, yeah, one in five to ten years, if we could just constantly be competing for that podium spot, I think uh, that would be that would be amazing. So. Well, that's great. Well, good luck in camp and good luck next month down in Texas and hopefully we'll chat to you again before the Olympics. So Lisa Chapman there, 
Big thanks to Alicia Chapman and Rianne Wilkinson for taking time out of their busy schedule to chat to us here at AFTN. Good luck to both of them and all the women down in Houston this month. As we said, the tournament gets underway for Canada on February 11th with a group game against Guyana. And the crucial games to watch out for are the semi-finals on the 19th of February, where the winner of Group A will play the runners-up of Group B, and the winners of Canada's Group B will face the runners-up in Group A. So you're hoping that's going to be Canada? Is it going to be Costa Rica? Is it going to be Mexico? Is one of those teams going to shock the US and and set up a Canada-US semi-final? Have to hope not, because obviously you want the the two winners of those semi-finals to go through to the Olympic qualifying, and you want one of those to be Canada. So a game against the US would really be Canada's worst nightmare, I think, at this stage of the competition. The final takes place two days later on the 21st of February. Hopefully that is going to be when the big Canada-US clash is. And the good thing for Canada is all their games are going to be taking place in Houston, with the other group's group games taking place at FC Dallas's home in Frisco. So good luck to Canada, good luck to all the women, and do us proud once again, and we look forward to seeing you taking the pitch in Rio in the summer, and going for at least another Olympic medal, and hopefully this time, even better than bronze, gold or silver. So that's it for another episode of the podcast. I'm Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read all our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. You can also read all my Whitecaps coverage on MLSsoccer.com. So until next time, as always, thanks for listening. Take care and Mon Canada. One day I shall come back. Yes, I shall come back. Until then... There must be no regrets, no tears, no anxieties. Just go forward in all your beliefs and prove to me that I am not mistaken in mine. Ten minutes left. Yeah, but-